Hello everyone, you're listening to In Conversation with IPR and Competition Law Podcast. This podcast features intellectual property rights lawyers and competition lawyers around the globe. I'm Aditya Trivedi, founder and host of this podcast. And I'm Rigang Patel, a consultant and co-host for this podcast. Let's welcome our guest for today, Dr. Amber Dhar, lecturer in Competition Law at University of Man- Manchester School of Law. Today we are going to be discussing or rather having a conversation on competition law policy and it, uh, competition law and policy in South Asia. Welcome ma'am. Thank you. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you ma'am. So let me introduce you to the audience that Dr. Amber Dhar is lecturer in competition law University of Manchester School of Law as I already said. She's also a senior research fellow at the Center for Law, Economics and Society and a teaching fellow at UCL where she focuses in the areas of competition law, law and development, comparative law, intellectual property rights and comp- competition law. She is particularly interested in redefining frontiers between international human rights and competition law. She is also interested in legal issues arising from the South Asian region, particularly in the areas of competition and constitution law. And she is a postdoctoral researcher associated with the University of Florence. Dr. Amber holds a PhD degree from the Faculty of Laws at UCL. She is also a barrister at law uh, and uh, was also called to the Bar of England and Wales from Lincoln Center in 1997. Dr. Amber holds a Bachelor of Arts cum laude in Economics with concentration in International Economic Relations and English from Ryan Moore College, Pennsylvania, United States. In 2014, Dr. Amber was enrolled as an advocate at the Supreme Court of Pakistan and thereafter, she has worked with the prominent constitutional and corporate law firms in Pakistan. She has also served as an executive director of Securities and Exchange Commission of Pakistan for a period of two years. So, ma'am, uh, coming to the conversation, welcome to the podcast. And your thank work you, has and been. Thank you for the for the very detailed um, intro. I think for the purposes of today, I'd like to just focus on my academic uh, side of my uh, experience. Right. Thank you so much, ma'am. It's a pleasure to host you as well. So, for the conversation, your work has been published in many internationally reputed journals and you have also written extensively on South Asian competition law. Uh, How and why did you become interested in the particular subject? So, I think the answer to this question should be self-evident. I think being um, from South Asia myself, uh, being from Pakistan, and I was very much practicing in the country when Pakistan introduced its first modern competition law in 2007. And I was very intrigued by two things. Firstly, the intersection of economics and law at which competition law sits very squarely. Um, uh, you know, as you said in my introduction, I had a background in economics, so I've always been attracted to things that when economics meets law, what happens? The second thing that really intrigued me about competition law was this, the resistance it met um, in the business circles or you know, by extension even in the legal circles because I, I used to work with a corporate law firm uh, in those days. Uh, but also the resistance it met um, in, the, in, the, in the courts, uh, if you might say. I think there was a sense that we don't really know what this law is. It's, it's an unusual, uh, you know, fish as it were and it's doing something unusual in the economy so i think there's a lot of mystery attached to it um 
for me uh, i had done some antitrust law uh, studying in the us for my undergraduate many years ago so i had some sense what it was trying to do and i was also very attracted to the idea of economic democracy that the law promised you know that all businesses are equal and the big business is not going to get, get away with its its uh, abusive practices so i think without knowing too much i think those were the things that attracted me and of course coming from south asia it was important for me uh, personally to reflect back on the region that i love so much really um, you know it's not just pakistan india has a very special place in my heart and by extension uh, all other countries that we are associated with we have um, you know a culture a sort of a way of doing things a way of looking at things uh, which is very common to us but we also have the colonial history we also have the the british imperialism that is common to us so i didn't want to just focus on pakistan i wanted to extend my scope um also i wanted to see the countries in a comparative perspective you know we um when we li- live in south asia we tend to see things as black or white or 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 you know india does this and pakistan does that we don't really see the commonalities and i wanted to see where we were similar where we were different and i wanted to see it from that you know very common shared perspective that we come from thank you so much ma'am for sharing your experience with us and uh, a very good answer to this question and how did you become interested and it was wonderful knowing your experience as we know south asia consists of developing economies and fair competition is very important for an economy to grow what do you think about compatibility and legitimacy of competition laws in the region especially india and pakistan so this is really a, a question very dear to my heart and i think that um, whilst you're absolutely right to say that um, you know developing economies such as ours uh, in south asia most of us we are either middle uh, you know developing or least developed countries also in the region i think there is a sense and we also have a history of state control so we have a lot of state owned enterprises india of course as you know better than i do that you know from 1991 you followed a policy of liberalization so i think we've suddenly entered into this private realm which didn't exist uh, until the, the 90s um the problem is that um whilst we have that need we don't often have the understanding of how to enter that private sphere and and how to uh, embrace competition so whilst the south asian countries all of them have engaged with competition law to some extent i think uh, i we can go into detail in a little while but several countries have adopted competition laws um others have engaged with the competition policy or they have draft laws but india and pakistan are the only two countries who have gone beyond uh, th- that sort of very formal engagement and have actually embarked on um, the implementation of the competition laws as well so india has been implementing uh, it adopted the law in 2002 uh, well it's called the 2002 act but it's actually adopted early january 2003 i think the enforcement process really didn't begin until several years later after 2007 when the act was amended and so it really began in 2009 but there's been a steady progress in um uh, in the implementation pakistan adopted the law uh, for the first time in 2007 and immediately went into the implementation phase so when we look at the two countries there's quite a com- comparable um, implementation period uh, both laws had interesting features when you talk about compatibility and legitimacy i think it's important to step back and unpack the concepts a little bit 
by compatibility we simply mean that you know have we made it i think i shouldn't say we mean because it's not a technical uh, meaning that is uh, associated in the literature i spend a lot of time unpacking it in my research but what i think the way india and pakistan uh, the way india looked at it was you know is this law good for our economy you know they had the raghavad committee uh, established in 1999 which deliberate deliberated on the process for nearly 2 years and uh, met with a lot of stakeholders met with international consultants and really produced a report in which they showed genuine reflection you know what do we need we are going from a state owned economy uh, largely sort of state run economy to a privatized economy we need to slow down on merger regulation we need to allow mergers to take place so i think there was a lot of reflection um that not only made the law compatible in indian context uh, to a to a significant degree but also gave it a stamp of legitimacy so legitimacy is a concept from political uh, science and political philosophy that i brought into my legal discussions and the idea you know what what are the factors that make laws more acceptable valid valid in the context in which they are to operate So I think that kind of bottom-up consultation process in India gave it a veneer of compatibility and legitimacy. This is not to say that you, if you have that veneer, you'll never have problems later on. But your the nature of the issues you have changes. Now, Pakistan, on the other hand, um, had very very different experience. So Pakistan. was heavily guided by the world bank um, in the adoption process so it didn't set up a committee like that of india there was a world bank led committee which had pakistani very good pakistani participants in it but basically the you know the terms of reference were set by the world bank and the pace at which it proceeded was also set by the world bank so there was basically a you know 6 to 8 month period uh, when which they had some internal consultations they also met with some stakeholders i mean i've only been able to come up with a record of two or three meetings so nothing like what we saw in india india is of course a much bigger country as well but we 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 don't see a sort of parallel process um there the idea of compatibility was more to do with you know okay is this institutionally compatible you know are, are you know who's going to uh you know who's going to uh, enforce competition law who's going to hear appeals so it was more that kind of compatibility they looked for and they kind of just plugged it in uh, the word we use of course the is legal transplant so they said okay this works this is the competition law we have it was a competition law drafted by a european firm the, the pr- uh, firm of jones day which sits in brussels very big law firm and the economic principles that the law embodied are very very uh, similar even almost identical in language to the principles uh, of the eu competition law what that means for legitimacy i think that's where i found that because there was very limited internal reflection and there was no sort of broad based stakeholder consultation i mean india mind you remember it went it had that consultation from 1991 to uh, sorry 1999 to 2001 then it went to parliament there was further debates over there then because the law was you know the supreme court came in there was a bramdat uh, case the supreme court came in and there were further deliberations then the government went back revised the act so there's a long process of deliberation and you might say well that's really inefficient um because it's so slow and whereas pakistan looks very efficient in comparison because it just had the ordinance and and went and started enforcing it i think the if you weigh it up if i the way i weighed it up in balance is that the longer process and the broader stakeholder consultations in india gave it much more of a you know indian flavor and an acceptance and some sort of an understanding uh, across the country which we didn't have in pakistan one proof of that is 
if you look at which i did for my research i looked at uh, you know the amount of case, the number of complaints that were filed before the competition commission of india when it started uh, practicing uh, started operating innumerable complaints some of them were consumer protection complaints which really shouldn't even have come to the cci but the fact remained that there was an awareness that there is an institution here now an organization that can listen to people's complaints uh, whereas in pakistan hardly any complaints for the first several years i think very much the so motto brief so that means that the competition commission itself was going out and enforcing uh, the competition law so i think it's a it's quite a tricky field but i think i would say that's where it lies that the broader stakeholder consultations you know gave a certain process uh, gave a certain um, compatibility and legitimacy uh, to the indian competition law which was not present in the pakistani law when it started operating does that answer your question yes ma'am it surely does thank you so much for such an in-depth answer and reasoning followed by that we really appreciate it and especially the comparison it was so detailed and it was so intrinsic i would say so coming coming uh, coming further how do you see antitrust enforcement in south asian region in general and do you see a, any lack of resources which act as any any sort of a hindrance in the process of antitrust investigation in the region you know this is an ama- really good question and i think it's very close to my heart as well because i've just um, finished the manuscript of my book where i actually look at all uh, eight south asian countries so let's just begin by quickly identifying which countries we're looking at because there are different definitions of south asia as as well and i focus on the sarc definition and the safta definition uh, so that's eight countries we have uh, afghanistan uh, in pakistan india bhutan nepal sri lanka bangladesh and maldives okay out of this uh, the countries that have adopted competition laws are india and pakistan of course and then you have sri lanka in the south which has had a consumer affairs authority act 2003 um bangladesh adopted a modern competition law in 2012 um nepal has a competition law since 2007 almost before uh, pakistan and maldives has a competition law uh, only since 2020 Uh, Bhutan has a competition policy uh, which it first adopted in 2014 and then in 2020 it uh, revised it and Afghanistan surprise surprise also has a draft competition law since 2011 it has not been uh, enacted yet um so where whilst this is sort of the lay of the land when it comes to you know very high i would say engagement uh, with competition law in the region but when you look at enforcement Sri Lanka has the authority as i said and it has a consumer competition directorate has a director but no orders absolutely no orders on competition law um Bangladesh has the competition authority it has not been made operational and um you know no orders on any issues let alone um you know uh, that it's it's not that it has no orders on competition law but it's just that it's not functioning at all Nepal no orders uh, but the Nepal, Nepalese system is quite complicated i won't uh, go into it but it's uh, it's quite complicated and there is a strange mix of um, well i shouldn't say strange mix but i think the enforcement is in, almost entirely with the courts and you have to you know the the market protection officer and the, the there's a board for competition that has to make a reference to the 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 courts so what we are really seeing here is that 
there's almost no competition enforcement if you look at south asia as a whole there's um, besides india and pakistan so i think capacity issues definitely that's the easy one you know you can always say oh these countries have not really understood what it's about and i think that doesn't really hold true for uh, sri lanka for instance which has had the law since 2003 um two other factors that come to mind for me are uh, firstly what kind of authorities have these countries set up so it seems that india and pakistan are the two countries that have set up independent competition authorities you know you can have arguments about how independent these independent competition authorities are but but the fact remains they're in, envisaged as independent uh, as separate units bangladesh also has a similar model the others are all embedded in the government so maybe that's one factor that affects enforcement that uh, you know um if the authority is independent it has more potential to commence so even in bangladesh when we see no competition orders you know you see the competition authority make you know almost trying to you know legitimize its own existence and coming out and making some statements about competition in the country and you know especially in covid times they sort of stepped out and said look the prices of food stocks should be managed and things like that this the authorities that are not independent at all are you actually don't hear anything they're so deeply embedded in the government that maybe the, you know that kind of separation is necessary so that's one uh factor that i've noticed um the second thing that i've noticed is that i think that's a big factor in in all these countries is that the competition law has been introduced very much through um foreign multi- multilateral agencies so it's either direct engagement with the wto so if you notice all these countries have at some point become members of wto so they've been part of the wto negotiations which if you recall you know in 2000 between 2000 and 2003 there was a lot of discussion at the wto that we should have a competition law all over the you know all countries should have it or maybe a broad sort of an international competition law Uh, for all countries within the WTO framework that idea was abandoned at the Cancun ministerial conference in 2003 but then the multilateral agencies like USAID or um you know uh, IM so, uh, the world bank uh, possibly in some situations IMF as well they individually worked with these countries to help them because i think the countries realized that if you don't have a competition law yourself then it might be imposed on you that was very much india and pakistan's reason as well for going about it but all in these countries they are smaller i think there was less kind of you know capacity for deliberation so there was a limited understanding of why they are getting this law you know deep deep understanding you what are the economic reasons what are the what are the benefits economic benefits or you know how do we want to like india did you know how do we want to go about implementing it do we do we need merger control right now or should we wait for that so i think those are the factors that have held the countries back in enforcement um i think finally i will say that there's you know there is less understanding of what competition can achieve so i think this debate exists in the west as well i would call it the debate between national champions and competition so competition as you know will make will equalize businesses it will you know make firms smaller and more competitive and more efficient whereas even at a national state level there is a thinking that what small countries need are national champions that we need to make a business bigger so i think there is that kind of a sort of a you know fundamental uh, you know sort of what's the word i want to use i want to say 
I don't want to say that. Yeah, I would say for a fundamental lack of understanding of what it is, you know, how is competition going to support development and growth? And I think that even the multilateral agencies that have engaged with South Asian countries have focused more on the how of competition or the what of competition rather than the why of competition. Why do you need it? How is it going to benefit you? And I think that's where the gap is, in my view. Yes, well, thank you so much for your answer, and literally thank you for telling us the practical in, uh, enforcement in competi- of competition law in the South Asian countries, particularly SARC, because uh, I we see uh, the websites or say we see or we read on online platforms that yes they have the commissions, but right now literally I came to know that yes in some countries they do not have started enforcement or they are not implementing the competition law, maybe it's on hold. Um, a yeah. lot of issues can be there. So, ma'am, what are your thoughts on the interface of competition law and human rights in reference to the right to health and food and emergence in South Asia? Referring to one of your publications, I've pre- prepared this question. Please come in. Yes, yes. Thank you, Aditya. So, okay, it's a slightly controversial answer. So, I think yes, there is an interface between. So, the, it's two ways, right? So, so human rights are very important you know important in south asia for instance right to food is is very very important in south asia because uh, you know of our populations and of course a lot of populations percent a significant proportion of our populations living before the poverty line so i would say food is really basic i think covid made us realize that health is a very basic uh, right that people should have availability to um is it competition law's problem to deliver human rights? Is that what competition law should do? And I think that's where the confusion arises. Um, I have argued elsewhere in my paper, you know, in my research, that uh, there is some interface between competition law and human rights, but not to the extent that competition law should adopt, you know, specific human rights um, objective as a specific objective of competition law, and start and start operating as a human rights agency. I think definitely not going as far as that at all. I don't think that's what what we do in competition. What we're doing in competition is saying businesses should be more efficient. If businesses are more efficient, people will have more access to economic activity within their countries, and therefore they will be in a better position to. Um, um, you know, uh, to fulfill their human rights. One area that I think is interesting for South Asian countries, particularly, to think about is, you know, where are they located in the, uh, the global economy? I, I think we what we we understand that we are deeply linked with the global economy quite often as providers of raw materials and services uh, to the global economy. So we are, uh, and you know, in our, all our governments, uh, I would say. Uh, Perhaps, definitely, I can say India, Pakistan, uh, for sure. In recent times, they they kind of celebrate the success of being integrated with the global economy, and it is a good thing because it gives us access to many many things. But when we realize that we are at the bottom end and we are actually the, the small sellers in that economy rather than the large buyer, we are not the big manufacturer. We are not, and what we are we are exporting our raw materials and importing finished goods in many many situations and even in food so this sort of you know um, the foreign uh, chains that are coming in which are which are no, i shouldn't even say coming in because they've been around in the region for a very long time you know what are they doing are they extracting value are they are they um, are they bringing in value or are they extracting value so those are the kind of questions and competition law can help over there 
i think that's when competition law can see that you know these are the here the buyer is more powerful rather than the seller so should we also be looking at buyer power so as you know of course that competition law historically looks at larger sellers rather than larger buyers and it looks at consumer the effect of you know anti competitive practices on consumers so that's the basic consumer welfare standard that we adopt in competition law and by consumer welfare we mean you know what are the prices that the consumer is going to pay so it's very sort of you know it's a very one dimensional notion of welfare because an average person might argue but consumer welfare might also lie in uh, you know the environment is the environment being degraded is the uh, you know what else is happening is the is the is the country going down is you know are we sort of making ourselves more indebted uh, for the future but cons- competition law looks at a very narrow version of, of welfare so i think the the first answer is that yes developing countries like south asian countries should be aware you know should be alive to the idea that there is a human rights dimension and maybe buyer power should be addressed uh, as well in particular but the second point is which i think is an is really a conservative point but a very important point that we don't have the capacity as yet to even apply the basic principles of competition law you know we are still struggling with that um if we make it more complex because what happens when you bring in human rights issues is that it becomes more difficult to enforce right you have more uh, variables that you have to take in, into account when you're um uh, enforcing the law so which also makes it difficult to enforce so is it right for us to as sort of burgeoning new competition authorities in the south asian region is it right for us to make our lives so complicated and fall prey to some sort of populism that you know we are going to um lower the price of sugar and our farmers are suffering so we should do this for the farmers and eventually not not be able to enforce competition at all so i think it's a it's a, it's a difficult question to answer it's a balancing exercise um i think the more evolved a competition system is um uh, you know the the easier it might be to take uh, up these issues but also another factor which i've argued about in my research is that actually the change the the basic the fundamental principles of competition have to be revisited that this is not simply human rights is not simply a developing country problem or a, you know a south asian problem it's a, it's a world problem it's a global problem if anything covid has really um made us understand that it's not just developing countries that need to focus on human rights but also there are communities within developed countries you know within the supply chains uh, of developed countries that have these problems so i think once if the fundamentals are questioned in the west and we as working with the west because we're so integrated with that global economy then it will be easier for us to uh, adopt those principles as well and employ them but on our own going off on a tangent and taking up these um, ideas might actually mean that we end up having no competition enforcement at all because we actually don't have the capacity to take up more complex issues Thank you so much, ma'am, for your answer. Uh, moving forward, how do you analyze the interface of consumer protection laws and competition law? As one of the objectives of competition law is consumer welfare, what do you think? Yeah. So again, a very good question. Um, so I would say that it's important to understand that competition law and consumer law are very different. Okay. uh and the idea of consumer welfare that we come across in 
competition laws is not the same as the consumer protection the consumer welfare consumer protection laws so let me um let me begin by uh, giving you the fundamental difference which is that consumer protection laws look at individual problems faced by consumers in multiple uh, situations for instance maybe you were buying went out to buy something and you got a defective good maybe uh, the warranty was not you know uh, 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 upheld um maybe the good broke down before it was it was meant to maybe it wasn't matching the description so there are a lot of consumer protection issues i think we as consumers would recognize all these issues and we want to you know we buy a big electronic item we need to know that it has a warranty of a year will it work or not you know things like that now Con- competition act on the other competition law rather on the other hand is not looking at these individual issues right it's looking at the structure of the economy it's looking at how economic players we call them competitors how businesses compete with each other in the marketplace uh, in the in the in the economic uh, sphere so every sector economic sector will have its own markets um and the consumer welfare that competition law is looking at is the broader sort of consumers as a class rather than individual consumers and it's also looking at a specific aspect of consumer welfare which is not the same as all aspects of consumer welfare right so for instance deceptive marketing practices is not a competition law issue it is a consumer law issue now in some countries like in pakistan they put deceptive marketing practice in the competition law uh the 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 legislation itself but that doesn't make it a competition law concern it's a consumer law concern because it's more individual um so consumer welfare standard that competition law applies is uh we follow the neoliberal uh you know sort of price the new classical price theory which is very much from neoliberal economics and that's the predominant um, economics in competition law at the moment uh, in the US also in the EU to a large extent and that idea of consumer welfare is what is the price that the consumer is getting so if the price is low for the consumer then the consumer is has welfare if the price is high for the consumer i'm being very simplistic right now but i just want to make this point that if the yes. price is high then we will say the consumer doesn't have welfare so it is not a holistic evaluation of consumer welfare the way consumer protection acts or laws will look at individual cases and examine consumer welfare um in in the you know in the in 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 those individual cases so i think that separation is very very important you have we have to understand that a consumer protection law is very different from a competition law they are not one and the same and they are not achieving the same objectives one cannot be used to do the other so for instance consumer protection law will not look at the broader structural implications of its decisions and a competition act or law will not look at individual implications Is that is that helpful? Yes, ma'am. Surely, I really appreciate the fact that uh, it's a fairly talked about subject that consumer welfare and competition law often go hand to hand, but there is a slight uh, distinction between them. Often, there is the case in CCI as well in India that the CCI has dismissed numerous cases based on the fact that they have been filed at a wrong forum. Rather, the party should have appro- approached a consumer forum rather than a competition forum. I really, we really appreciate that that view of yours. So, taking further, 
like uh, in south asian in south asian region there has been a quick spurt of competition law regimes and rather the competition law re- regimes have been developing at a rapid pace so at yes. this uh, pace the diverse political and economic de- uh, development which have been a by product for uh, of uh, such a rapid pace in development how do you see uh, that is uh, whether that is significant to the growth uh, to the growth of competition law regimes or that has rather been a uh, hindrance in the same so if you could please comment on that so again i mean a really interesting question because you know it's amazing how much diversity south asia can throw up uh, even though it's just eight countries and you have a real spate of sort of different types of regimes so when i was looking at these countries i looked at um i said okay there are you know there is a democracy like a strong uh, democracy which has always been a democracy which is india um and then you have uh, pakistan which has had political instability uh, but no never a monarchy it's never been a monarchy so there's that then you have countries like nepal maldives bhutan um you know which have been monarchies and they they have come from that kind of history of course bangladesh as we know political term also similar to in pakistan is similar to sorry pakistan and bangladesh are similar because they've never been monarchies they have been under colonial rule they have had uh democratic uh, disturbances which which are you know quite pronounced and then you at the very extreme you have uh, afghanistan which of course has greater political turmoil than any of us uh, you know put together um so uh, what is interesting to me is to see that it is not made too much of a difference to the uh, the fact that these countries have adopted competition laws you know so so despite all these differences each country has some engagement with competition law which i've already mentioned in one of my earlier answers that you know each of these countries has to some extent so what what that suggests to me um is that notwithstanding their uh, political regimes because these countries are also connected with the international economy because the majority i think all of them are uh, members of the wto with the exception of bhutan because it's too small but even bhutan is in consultations with wto uh, to to be, to become a member um, i think that engagement has been very um, influential in bringing competition laws uh, to the country where the difference of the regime i think has an impact is in the enforcement of the law so i think the countries that have done you know have more for enforcement have been the stronger uh, you know countries that have had stronger experiences longer experiences of of democracy um i forgot to mention sri lanka earlier sri lanka like uh, pakistan and bangladesh has, you know has been a, it was a maybe a monarchy a very long time ago has been a constitutional democracy for a long time but again there's a history of uh, you know democratic uh, troubles which has not maybe allowed it to focus uh, on competition law um so i think these are the countries that have actually done more for the enforcement um the, when there is a separation of powers to some extent i think different uh, as different branches of the state can actually push one another that you know this needs to be done and uh, they've they've sort of made greater headway in that direction either in terms of enforcement like india and pakistan we see actual enforcement uh in bangladesh and sri lanka you actually see separate authorities established directorates established um but not you know no decisions yet but i think that is so it's a again as i said it is interesting to see that the 
political and economic differences have not made too much of an impact on the on what has actually happened like i'll give you an interesting example of bangladesh bangladesh i found a very enlightened uh, country uh, in the way it engaged with um uh, with competition law so bangladesh have was you know at all times in the wto ministerial conferences it was saying like look we are the least developed country we have economic uh, concerns we we need to focus on social justice issues for our people as well we can't just go and you know go for economic efficiency uh, but in the ultimate uh, scenario bangladesh was heavily influenced by india um, you know the indian thought i should say not the indian politics but indian competition thought was was very influential um, and uh, through indian ngos uh, like cats i think was quite sort of you know uh, engaged with the indian with the bangladeshi uh, cop- competition uh, process and um, the competition law that you end up with in bangladesh despite these very enlightened discussions that bangladesh was having um, is very like any other competition law so it actually really made no difference on the ground you know when you actually adopt the competition law it looks like all other competition there's very very little difference in fact uh, huge com- huge um, commonalities between the indian and the bangladeshi competition law so you can really really tr- the influence is obvious even in the words that you, they use for instance mergers and acquisitions are referred to as combinations that's a very indian um terminology uh, in the region that you can definitely trace it to india there's no other country and then bangladesh is the only other country that has that as well so i hope that answers your question somewhat but um, maybe not perfectly uh, thank you ma'am that was an interesting answer and uh, solves a lot of the queries that we had earlier uh, recently uh-huh. uh, we have seen the emergence of covid pandemic and that has affected every sector every country covid pandemic yeah. has enhanced the use of technology also and data and it increased yes. dependency on the major technology oriented countries and particularly big tech but at the same yes. time they are again under regulatory scrutiny even the established competition watchdogs and mature jurisdictions are facing this problem to regulate the big tech in terms of competition law and digital markets so what do you think yes. on this thing Yeah this is uh, you know like all your questions i'm really finding this uh, such an interesting conversation um yes you know this is the next frontier this is the next frontier uh, all over the world but i think we are a little bit it's quite interesting i think that south asian countries are paying a lot more attention to privacy laws than they are to uh, competition laws Uh, so they're not really even India. I mean, you know, India is also working. There's a huge amount of, of course, you know, there's the the Directorate of uh, you know uh, Data Protection and all sorts of. Um, what we are not seeing so far is coherence. Uh, you know, there's not a coherent strategy of how to deal with it. The other thing is, I think that there is a sort of a. I would almost say a fundamental schizophrenia. You know, do we love these foreign companies? Do we want them to come in, come extract our data? You know, we are here, or are we going to say no? Stop. You know, this data is valuable. So India, for instance, has taken the view that you know you cannot take our data away without our permission. Kind of a view. I, I, I'm, I'm unfortunately not 100% my area, so I won't be able to. um comment on it very specifically but whatever i've read india i think again is taking that approach that you know you cannot extract data from us um 
Pakistan is adopting a much more open approach, and I I I suspect that some other smaller countries might also adopt a, a, a more open approach towards companies and extraction of data because they might see it as um, you know the 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 way to attract business. So I'm just going to stop for a minute and say that when countries are placed in such close proximity and also have similar economic sort of stand you know standing at least in the eyes of the west they have to resort to different ways to make themselves attractive to foreign businesses now one way to make yourself one of the reasons why we have adopted competition laws across the board is to remain comparable with each other we call this regulatory competition in, um, in the political science literature in, in diffusion and uh, transfer of laws one of the reasons why laws are adopted is to remain comparable with each other equally and this is we call it the race to the top you know we we say okay all the countries should have the same laws and then we will look attractive to the outside world there's another very subtle thing that happens which is the race to the bottom so you know who is going to be the most open regulatorily like if alibaba wants to invest in pakistan and also in india what will make alibaba come to pakistan more easily than to india although alibaba is in both as you know uh, but you know one of the reasons it will be attract attracted to a country is oh this country is not going to punish me so much if i extract data right so this are these are very complement uh, com- complicated things and these are very fundamental things and i think countries will have to uh, these are not issues for competition authorities only to decide right there are policy issues as well so for instance i was uh, reading an order of the competition authority in uh, pakistan the competition commission of pakistan uh, about um, you know um, i think uh, ride sharing apps and they took a very benevolent view and they actually fell back on government policy and they said the government's policy is that you know we let these let this business run because this is good for the economy so this is not seriously something that competition authorities alone uh, can take care of i think that's where we come to the point of competition policy right it's a competition policy is bigger than competition law or competition authorities and it all aspects of the economy have to embrace it and follow it but i don't see that i in my perception that i don't think these countries have embraced competition policy as a guiding principle at all i think there are a lot of other factors that are still informing it so whilst privacy and data is a very big frontier we are nowhere near with the exception again of india which i think is is developing a more coherent approach towards uh, platforms uh, and data collection i think the other countries are still finding their way through even india has a lot of work to be done i mean i have read you know strong criticisms of india uh, india's uh, privacy regime that is too fragmented it's in you know too many heads uh, too many too many different moving parts and it needs to develop more coherence right we really appreciate such a elucidated answer ma'am also we second to the fact that there has been a heated debate to or coherence of data privacy and like competition law in general rather yeah. uh, even in the conferences uh, that we have had in india especially to be uh, to be pointed out the cii conference last last year in the month of december there was no coherence right. rather it was said one was either superimposed on the other or the other was superimposed uh, on the first so yeah. a uniform approach is rather needed and also uh, we second the fact that india is also a long way to that there's a long way to go for india in 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 a in pursuit of a proper data protection and competition policy law operating together so thank you so much for the answer 
So I, uh, I just have one more yeah. quick thing, Rigan, if if I may. I'll just say yeah, that sure, sure. Um, Please, go ahead. the competition authority, the Indian competition authorities' decisions about uh, uh, you know data platforms or platforms that collect data, electronic e-commerce platforms, right. they have definitely come a long way. I think there is now, you know, increasingly there's an understanding in those cases that you know how these platforms are operating. So I think there's that capacity is being built. You know, once that understanding, you know, if you see the earlier decisions like the it was the NCX, um, the stock exchange uh, case, there was yes, no ma'am. understanding really. If I may, if I, I've said it too bluntly, but I think there was the 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 understanding was only developing at that time that this is a two-sided platform and it has you know it can affect markets on either side. What are the network effects and everything? But in more recent cases, even in the Google Shopping case. Um, you know the, uh, the the other cases was the ride sharing app cases the miru and ola cases i think you can see that the understanding is being developed and i think there is recently i read um, you know that privacy is a competition concern also so there's that understanding coming in so i think what what i'm hoping is that there will be a meeting point where both policies kind of develop on their own in their individual spheres and then there is a meeting point and they start uh, working in tandem and coherently with each other Yes, we totally second to the fact because that is the need of the hour rather. Because every one, every uh, possible form of business is some way or the other moving in the digital platform, or the digital economy is pacing up at a huge scale as compared to what we have seen in the past decade or so. And the growth Absolutely. is even exponential when we take into account the blockchain technology, which is again going to expand the digital sector manifolds. So it's Absolutely. it Absolutely. yeah. Because yeah. the, uh, so it's the only positive hope we have got that we uh, we come to a point where the competition policy and the data privacy laws meet at uh, meet at a conjunction and they rather work for the betterment of the economy in general. So yes, thank you I so mean, much for the answer. I'm, yeah, I'm go just on. going to uh, hint, point out. I don't want to go into it in any depth, but there is a lot of literature on data colonialism now. So what we are also seeing is, in, you know, all these old trade discussions that we used to have. There's a new kind of trade, and is it going to also be extracting value from us rather than, you know, bringing value? Um, you know, in the olden days, we would see in films that you know people have arrived at the shores with little beads and trinkets, and um, you know, and we've sold our riches to the beads and trinkets. And I think our access to the platform is like that bead and trinket that is given to us on the shore. And of course, it's valuable, but really, what are we giving up in return? So I think those are questions for you guys to also lead on and think about. I don't have the answers. I'm just throwing out some questions. Yeah, definitely, ma'am. Because, for instance, while we're paying something, uh, well, well, where, where there's some monetary value involved in availing a service, that's an altogether different matter. But whenever the data is involved as a price for a particular extraction of service, the situation comes yeah. in tricky. So. That is perhaps what uh, you're thinking, and we have been leading in this way, because when whenever yeah. there is some money involved, we can obviously, uh, you could say, relate it to some economical matter anyway. But whenever there's personal data, the things go haywire. Yep. So, so there's the phrase now is the data is the new price. So we yes, are now definitely. paying in. Yeah. But sorry, next okay. question. I've been talking too much about this. Yes. Yeah. D- definitely. No problems. So uh, f- uh, for f- uh, going further. What is the role of enforcement and competition law as we take into account the appellate authorities? For instance, the high courts and the supreme courts of the countries in uh, South Asia. 
how long they have, uh, have they come and what are their current scenarios while regulating the competition law or even talking about the enforcement cases that has been going through because of the appeals that that have come through uh, post the order of the competition regulators in the sector yeah i mean this is a some topic very close to my heart because uh, you know i've been a lawyer uh, like a practicing litigator in my previous life and i i have a very um, close affection for court systems and I, i enjoy talking about them now we have to also understand that what is the role of courts in in competition law enforcement right it's not so let's be clear it the role of courts is not to interpret core competition principles the core principles are specialist principles you need economics uh, you know experts in economics experts in um, in law uh, you know in a special kind of law i mean you know you can't just have somebody who knows criminal law cannot sit on a competition law mat right you understand that so that is why if you notice all our competition authorities have very specific types of people who can be and a heavily economic based uh, thinking that goes into those discussions so the courts play a very important role in what i call the legitimating process of competition laws because the courts then come in to check um whether the law is uh, operating to the due process norms is it you know compatible with the with the sort of the the fundamental rights which are in the country so all those things now courts have a formal role in competition law enforcement and you know i wouldn't say an informal role but a a role that is less talked about so what is the formal role now again let talking about india and pakistan specifically because they are very well defined uh, what i call enforcement trajectories so the competition authorities in both countries they take the first decision and that is based on competition law principles they 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 interpret it from the you know competition law and they apply it then in both countries there's an appellate tribunal which is also a specialist body so you're still not going to the courts and that has usually has judges in it um, you know but they judges it's are supported by competition experts in in both appellate body uh, competition appellate tribunals and they then review uh the competition principles uh, applied by the competition authorities but they also bring in some judicial knowledge and they say well you know is this working or is it not working finally the supreme courts of the both countries india and pakistan they are the final appellate authorities and they are the i would call i call them the gates uh, you know through which the competition law enters the mainstream because once it the supreme court puts it puts a stamp and it says okay we've really seen it now from our bigger broader perspective because we see all kinds of cases all sectors and we are we are deciding whether this is working or not um so that's the established formal role of the enforcement now in both countries what also happens is that at any point you know our constitutions of both india and pakistan allow writ petitions to be filed against any official action so if you think that the competition authorities are not doing their job properly you can just file a writ petition Pakistan and India have both seen spates of writ petitions filed uh, against competition um, for instance um, uh, actions rather than just orders so you know for instance a case can be filed in in the writ jurisdiction that you know this uh, uh, this investigation was not properly launched my my fundamental rights have been compromised so things like that now what i've seen in india that of course there are many many writs but because the appellate authority is also functioning those writs are quite easily decided you can almost you know the the principle of law is that you can only file a writ petition if you have no adequate alternate remedy in law right and if your if your rights are breached 
and there's no other remedy available to you then you can file a writ but because the indian uh, system when it was established in 2009 when the cci was notified as operational at the very in the same breath the competition appellate tribunal was also notified so the appellate system always existed so whilst the writs were filed and are filed and will be filed i think forever that's a right that people have those writs are really on very limited grounds and they're not really challenging the fundamental uh, you know existence of the competition law but they're really tweaking at the edges and the writs are usually quite well you know clearly decided i think in re- in a reasonable time frame and uh, even the stays are not very very long so i think that in that sense i would say the courts and the competition enforcement system are working in a supportive relationship with each other that they both are doing their job but they're not one is not completely stopping the other what we've seen in pakistan is very very different uh pakistan did not establish an appellate system for a very long time and there were some complicated reasons for that initially they didn't have an appellate system uh, identified a separate appellate tribunal so the law was in for, in, enacted in 2007 but the appellate uh, tribunal was not introduced until 2010 and even then they took it took them longer to establish it so there was no remedy available to people who wanted to go into appeal the only chance they had was there was one appeal allowed to the supreme court and people were genuinely worried that you know let's say a competition authority has imposed a whopping fine of god knows how many millions of rupees and uh, i have only one chance of appeal to the supreme court if i lose that appeal then i have to pay those millions so what do i do so instead of staying in the in the in the formal system which i talked about they they go, went out and filed writs writs were entertained over there because there was no alternate remedy right so the principle of law is the same in india and pakistan that you can file a writ if you have an alternate remedy but there they felt that the, the alternate remedy was not adequate because there was no appellate tribunal and there the writs challenged not only the you know the due process norms but they also challenged what we call in in, in the in the south asian language we they you know they said the law is ultra vires of the constitution so it shouldn't be there so very fundamental issues and that really um, in that sense the courts were less comfortable deciding competition law matters i mean if you recall i said at the beginning that competition was you know seen as sort of an outside thing a different kind of a creature what is competition you knew it was important but you didn't really know what to do with it you know so the courts really took a very passive uh, view uh, in this and i think they just uh, you know they didn't decide those petitions the petitions have remained with the courts for nearly 10 years and they've not been decided but now they have i'll come to the present in a in a moment i just want to say what happened for 10 years the decisions were not made and uh, what that meant was that the competition authority was doing its work but it couldn't recover fines you know and it wasn't even that there was no progress there was it wasn't even in india you don't recover a lot of fines but the the law keeps getting better and better because the law goes from competition uh, authority to the appellate tribunal and then to the supreme court in the formal system so the law keeps getting defined for instance you have the excel crop care case which said you know you should use the relevant turnover rather than just turnover then uh, the the rajasthan cylinders case said you know about something else that you know you cannot that parallel behavior is not uh, you know not collusion that's a problematic decision perhaps but we won't go into that but the law is getting redefined whereas in pakistan we haven't even come to a discussion of the court competition principles we are still stuck on whether 
um, you know, the law can operate at all. Is it is it fundam- is it fundamentally opposed to the constitution or not? So I think the courts can play a very supportive role, as we've seen in India. You know, still not. A, somebody might argue, but why are they interfering even that much? I'd say don't say that because the courts are there to interfere interfere if they have to for right reasons. But in Pakistan, what we see is. a sort of a frozen role i would say it's unsupportive also but it's frozen you know nothing's happening so just in october 2020 actually those hundreds and hundreds of petitions were decided by one single order it's uh, which i'm planning to review more holistically um, and the high court of lahore passed that order so uh, that's a good thing that's a positive step that's a, you know a step towards resolution but you can imagine that order has been challenged in the supreme court in the writ jurisdiction uh, you know the appellate writ jurisdiction uh, for the writ uh, so there's still no final decision the competition authorities in pakistan have made no move towards recovery because they know that you know until the law is set in stone by the supreme court there's actually no point in going forward so you can see the impact or rather i can definitely because i can imagine i have the data in front of me that when you have a supportive system competition enforcement goes on and when you have a system which is frozen or for whatever reason is not progressing the competition enforcement so i have seen in my view i would say that the effectiveness of competition enforcement in pakistan has gone down over time uh it will probably stabilize going forward you know no down is forever no up is forever uh but it's going towards more stabilization now but i think if the courts don't play a positive role from the beginning what we see in india is a more steady progress in pakistan it's a bit bit more choppy uh, it's been bit 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 put up and down i think it will stabilize going forward thank you thank you so much ma'am for answering this question about role of courts it was beautifully answered and i'll honestly Uh, tell you that i i don't find these kind of answers on websites on blogs on law reviews on the commentaries of competition law and today's session is not only uh, uh, thoughtful for our audience or it's not just an another episode in our let's say podcast but it uh, we both learned a lot mrgaank and i it was a very enriching session so thank you so much ma'am and thank you uh, thank, thank you, you for, for having time. me I will simply put in a little plug and say that you know I've written a book about this, um, so it's the book. Book will be out um, later this year. It's with the publisher right now. Um, but yeah, I mean these issues, like you, uh, Aditya Drigang, I you know these are close to my heart. The reason I've answered these, I've thought about these issues, is because I care about them. And I think you are also coming from that same space that you are also. Uh, looking at competition law uh, and IP law as well, because you actually care about what is happening. These are not just academic exercises we are doing, you know, some gymnastics that we do in university, but we are yeah. actually we really want things to happen and you know for our economies to prosper and our people to prosper. Yes, ma'am. Definitely, and there's no score better than a perfect competition going on because there has that has been quite a bit of problem since the LPG policy we have adopted, and we have definitely came a long way. But still, there's way much more to go as as we compare ourselves to the much more developed Western economy. Oh, absolutely! But I think uh, I'll say that um, you know I of course have a lot of respect for. the way india has come a long way in its institutional development uh, i think you can tell that from the way i talk about it but i also think it's important that yes. we as south asians we don't simply look at how the west is doing things and then we want to do it just like them we have to also uh, you know think of our own answers what are our realities what is best for us 
So I think that's where all of us come in and we reflect on our own needs rather than simply saying, well, you know, that's how our needs have been, similar needs have been addressed in the West. Yes, ma'am. We definitely look forward for the book to be published and we'll be among the first to read them, that's for sure. Yes, I will definitely, you will see the social media announcements once it's it's still a few months away but when it is uh, it, you know i'll be mm-hmm. delighted yeah, sure, to maybe man. have another discussion about it i think once definitely definitely yeah. sure uh, thank you so much thank you again my pleasure thank you